Hello, Earnings Call listener. My name is Hadi Youssef. I run this earnings season podcast, but I also run the Borster Earnings Call mobile app, and that's what I wanted to quickly tell you about today. We've created a dedicated app for listening to earnings calls. What I mean by that is that we've basically created the Spotify for earnings calls. Our app lets you add any company to your watch list. You can download any earnings call to your phone. You can set notifications for specific companies for when a new call is available. You can also see the exact date of the earnings call. And if there is a company that isn't on our app yet, you can request a company within our app and we will promptly add it. Making earnings calls easy to access is something that I care a lot about. It's why I created this earnings season podcast. But obviously, we cannot add every single earnings call that gets published on this podcast, or else you'll be having hundreds of episodes every week. And so, we've created a dedicated app where you can go and pick and choose the exact earnings calls、uh, you're interested in. And what we post on this earnings season podcast are basically kind of the highlights or the most notable earnings calls. But in the show notes of this episode, I've included a video demonstration where I walk you through all the features that I just described for our app. And I also included the link to the App Store where you can go there and see the description of the app and the reviews. You know, I'm really proud of the feedback we've gotten from our users. And,、uh, you know, pleasing and satisfying our, our users and our customers is, is something that I、uh, take pride in. And, and as a team, we、uh, really pride ourselves on that. And so, I don't want to take more of your time and, and keep you from listening to the earnings calls you've selected today. So, without further ado, here is your earnings call. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Stitch Fix third quarter 2019 earnings call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to turn things over to David Pierce. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you for joining us on the call today to discuss the results for our third quarter of fiscal 2019. Joining me on today's call are Katrina Lake, founder and CEO of StitchFix, Mike Smith, president and COO, and Paul Yee, our CFO. We have posted complete Q3 financial results in our shareholder letter on the IR section of our website, investors.stitchfix.com. A link to the webcast of today's conference call can also be found on our site. We would like to remind everyone that we will be making forward looking statements on this call, which involve risks and uncertainties. Actual results could differ materially from those contemplated by our forward looking statement. Reported results should not be considered as an indication of future performance. Please review our filings with the SEC for a discussion of the factors that could cause our results to differ. Also, note that the forward looking statements on this call are based on information available to us as of today's date. We disclaim any obligation to update any forward looking statements except as required by law. During this call, we will discuss certain non GAAP financial measures. Reconciliations to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measures are provided in the shareholder letter on our IR website. These non GAAP measures are not intended to be a substitute for our GAAP results. Finally, this call in its entirety is being webcast on our IR website, and a replay of this call will be available on the website shortly. I'd now like to turn the call over to Katrina. Thanks, David, and thank you for joining us. After the market closed today, we issued our quarterly shareholder letter with more details on our results, which I encourage you to read. I'm excited to share our third quarter results, which demonstrate our commitment to delivering strong top line growth while making measured strategic investments for the long term. We're also raising our revenue guidance for the fourth quarter, reflecting our expectations for continued momentum in our business as we close the year. 
As I reflect on the third quarter, I remain very excited by our position within the retail ecosystem, as well as our resulting ability to capitalize on future opportunities. Personalization is at the very core of what we do at StitchFix, and we feel we're highly differentiated. In an environment where many retailers face growth challenges, we remain confident in our ability to deliver personalization at scale using our unique combination of human judgment and data science to continue delighting clients and growing our business. Now I'll discuss our Q3 results, provide an update on the continued momentum we're driving across our women's and men's categories, and share what this means for our newest categories over time. In the third quarter, we generated net revenue of $409 million, exceeding our guidance and representing 29% year-over-year growth. We delivered $7 million in net income and negative $0.3 million in adjusted EBITDA. We grew our active client count to $3.1 million as of April 27, 2019, a 17% increase year-over-year. Year. These results reflect our continued execution across three of our growth pillars, expanding relationships with existing clients, attracting new clients, and growing our market opportunities. On the third pillar, I'm pleased to announce we officially launched in the UK just last month and are excited to introduce our personalization capabilities to our newest clients. Over the past several quarters, we've discussed the seeds we've planted in newer markets, such as kids and the UK, which we believe will contribute less from a revenue and client perspective near term, but represent nice longer-term levers for our business. These categories are small today, but have significant potential in the years ahead as we continue to drive strong top-line growth and capture more and more share within our $430 billion market opportunities. While these new categories are exciting for us as we think about our multi-year outlook, our women's category continues to have so much opportunity and we've been pleased with our recent results. We shared in Q1 that we delivered the highest keep rate on record in women's and in Q2 that we drove strong repeat client demand. This quarter, we continue to delight existing clients but also demonstrate improvement in our ability to attract new high quality clients who can serve well from the outset. Through predictive algorithms, we believe we're better able to reach clients who are a good fit for our service and who we are able to retain for a longer period. One measure we look at is the number of clients who keep at least one item in their fix and tell us that they're looking forward to their next fix. This number grew 8% year over year in women's in Q3, which was the fourth consecutive quarter of year over year growth. This is a sign that the client was satisfied in finding an item that they loved and also excited about the opportunity to build a long-term relationship with us. Unsurprisingly, we found these positive first fixed experiences are often indicative of stronger client retention, stronger revenue per client, and higher engagement. As evidence, women's clients who joined us in fiscal 2019 year-to-date have demonstrated higher retention rates than the comparable 2018 cohort. We're excited to drive enhancements like this in women's, not only because it is our largest category, but also because these learnings can often be applied to our other offerings. I'd now like to turn to men's, which has graduated from the early seed stage of kids in the UK today, and is now at a point where it has scaled into a category we're excited to discuss in a more specific way. Men's, which we launched in September of 2016, continues to benefit from strong product market fit and increasing scale both of which are factors in driving favorable business results. In the last 12 months, we have significantly improved men's gross margins, and we expect to drive further improvements as we continue to grow. 
Our improved men's assortment reflects rich client feedback from our growing male client base. Most recently, we used this data to enhance our activewear and tailored assortments. In activewear, we responded to style profile feedback by expanding our assortment versatility for workout attire to everyday use. In addition, we've incorporated affordable and accessible performance attributes, such as moisture wicking and UV protection. Another opportunity we saw was in men's workwear and special occasion, which we call our tailored offering, where we've used client fit feedback to revise our exclusive brand fit blocks, which resulted in higher fit and style scores. Our ongoing improvements in men's have resulted in year-over-year -year increases in keep rate in every quarter going back to the launch of our men's category in Q1-17. The success of our exclusive brand offering, which now comprises more than a third of our men's revenue, also contributed to gross margin improvement in Q3. We've created multiple brands that look and feel like standalone brands, each with its own identity and strong point of view. Each brand was created to address specific gaps in the market, both in style and price, and we're thrilled at how successful these brands have become. Our exclusive brands have very high sell-through, which drives rapid inventory turn that contributes to its stronger gross margin profile. In addition, we've expanded the number of U.S. warehouses that carry men's merchandise from two to three, improving shipping costs and benefiting gross margins as well. Our enhanced ability to attract and retain high-quality clients and quickly scale categories gives us confidence as we execute on our newer opportunities like kids in the UK. Before I hand it over to Paul, I'd like to spend a moment to provide an update on StylePass. As you know, we are constantly looking for new ways to engage and delight our customers, and StylePass, which just celebrated its first anniversary, is a great example of this. To date, our one-year renewal rates have exceeded 70% across both men's and women's clients. In addition, as of Q319, StylePass has continued to reduce friction from the client experience and deliver better client and business outcomes. Specifically, the program improved client retention and increased average revenue per client and client satisfaction as compared to non-StylePass clients. We will continue to roll out StylePass to clients in a disciplined manner to ensure that the program benefits both our clients and our business. I will now turn the call over to Paul, who will discuss our financial performance and outlook. Thank you, Katrina. Our Q3 results reflect both strong execution by the team and continued commitment to our long-term growth strategy. We deliver net revenue above our guidance range, healthy gross margins, and positive free cash flow. At the same time, as planned, we made strategic investments that will fuel our future growth, including brand marketing capabilities, UK expansion, and talent. Looking ahead, we see top-line momentum continuing in Q4, leading us to raise our full-year revenue guidance. Our Q3 net revenue of $409 million represented 29% growth year-over-year, -year, topping our guidance of 22 to 26% growth. We saw healthy growth in both women's and men's and continue to ramp our kids' category. Active clients grew to 3.1 million, or 17% year-over-year, driven by our investments in performance marketing and in inventory, which enabled us to better serve new clients. Net revenue per active client grew 8% year-over-year, representing our fourth consecutive quarter of growth, even with a higher mix of men's and kids' clients. This growth is a result of our continued focus on attracting high-quality clients, improving our personalization capabilities, and driving stronger retention in our women's category. 
Q3 gross margin was 45.1%, representing a 150 basis point improvement from 43.6% last year. This gain was driven by both lower clearance activity and lower shrink expense year over year. Our improving gross margin is net of the impact of our newer categories. As Katrina discussed, we've also seen gross margin improvement in our men's category, with its increasing scale, enhanced assortments, and continued success with exclusive brands. Advertising was 12.3% of net revenue. As we shared last quarter, we plan to invest more heavily in marketing in the second half of this year, with a specific focus on brand advertising. Brand spend comprised $16 million in the quarter, or 3.9% of net revenue. Other SG&A excluding advertising was 33.9% of net revenue in the quarter, compared to 32.6% in last year's Q3. These results reflect the build-out of UK capabilities, as well as payroll and SBC investments to attract and retain top talent. As a reminder, we include SBC in our EBITDA results. This expense totaled $9.1 million in the quarter. Our strong data science and engineering teams are key differentiators in our business. And we believe SBC is an important lever as we invest in these teams. As a result, we expect continued impact from SBC in the quarters ahead. Q3 adjusted EBITDA was negative $0.3 million, or negative 0.1% of net revenue. This was at the higher end of our guidance range of negative four to positive $1 million. Q3 net income was $7.0 million, and diluted EPS was $0.07. Cents. These results reflect certain one-time tax benefits that were recognized in the third quarter. Year-to-date, we've delivered free cash flow of $51 million, compared to $49 million in the same period last year, and ended Q3 with zero debt and $367 million in cash, cash equivalents, and highly rated securities. Quarter-end inventory grew 34% year-over-year, compared with 29% at the end of Q2, reflecting our planned second-half investments to meet higher demand. Moving on to our outlook, for Q4-19, we are raising our net revenue guidance to $425 to $435 million, representing growth of 34 to 37% year-over-year. This compares to our prior range of 29 to 35% growth and is driven by expectations for continued momentum and net revenue for active clients, along with consistent active client growth. We also expect to return to positive EBITDA in Q4 and are projecting adjusted EBITDA in the range of five to $10 million or an adjusted EBITDA margin of 1.2 to 2.3%. For full year fiscal 2019, we're raising our net revenue range to 1.57 to $1.58 billion or growth of 28 to 29% year over year. This compares to our prior range of 1.53 to $1.56 billion or 25 to 27% growth. We're raising the lower end of our adjusted EBITDA range to 38 to $43 million, reflecting an adjusted EBITDA margin of 2.4 to 2.7%. This compares to our prior range of 33 to $43 million. As a reminder, 2019 is a 53-week fiscal year, and Q4-19 includes 14 weeks. Our full year and Q4 guidance reflects the impact of this additional week. This guidance also includes our continued investment in the UK, which I noted last quarter as totaling approximately $12 million of SG&A expense in the second half of the year. With that, we're ready to open up for questions. Operator, over to you. 
Thank you. At this time, if you do have a question, please send us by pressing star 1. Once again, that will be star 1 for questions. We'll pause for just a moment. We'll hear first today from Doug Emmuth with J.P. Morgan. Great. Great. Uh, thanks for taking the questions. Um, first, just wanted to ask about the brand marketing campaign. Um, you talked about the $16 million of spending. Um, it would be great to hear about uh, how you're thinking about the results that you saw there early on and how we should think about that tying to client growth uh, in the quarter. And then um, second, you, you highlighted the uh, higher quality clients, um, especially in women through predictive algorithms. I'm um, wondering if there's any more color you can give us there in terms of how you're identifying these clients and what is kind of really driving the difference um, in, uh, in these higher quality clients and the better retention that you're seeing. Thanks. Great, absolutely. Um, brand marketing, um, so in the last quarter we spent um, $16 million in brand marketing, and that's very different from our kind of normal bread and butter performance marketing, which is um, what we really look at in terms of driving um, client growth results within the quarter. Um, so in terms of the question around tying brand marketing to client growth, um, that's not the way that we think about that spend. Um, and the key metrics around what we're looking for in success, uh, in, in success metrics on the brand marketing are really around um, understanding of the brand, awareness of the brand, affinity to the brand, and those are metrics that are longer-term metrics that, um, that you know, are, I think right now we're still too close to the campaign to be able to have a really accurate read. Um, but what I can say, I think, is overall we're really optimistic and excited about the opportunity to have brand marketing as a lever. Um, it's something that we see as an opportunity, um, certainly on the high-level metrics we talked about, also around re-engagement and um, driving this longer-term love for the brand. Um, and so, um, you know, we'll, we're excited about what we're seeing so far and, um, and you know, ho hopeful about kind of what results we'll see eventually. Um, on the women's side, um, in terms of what we're tactics that we're using around kind of acquiring customers and our performance marketing is really that we're able to better understand what is um, some attributes that are likely to lead to successful fixes. And so what that means is that we're better able to identify clients that are likely to generate a lot of LTV for us over time. And so it gives us the level that we would be happy to pay $100 for because we are able to have a really great read that that client is going to deliver 500 plus dollars in LTV. And so that, that type of nuance is helping us to be able to acquire um, better clients that are a better fit for the service and that contributes to the great revenue for client numbers that we're seeing in, in this last quarter. Okay, great, thank you. We'll hear next from Ross Sandler with Barclays. Uh, hey, can you guys hear me? We can. Okay, great. Um, so thanks for the color on the men's gross margin. I guess uh, you guys are probably not willing to disclose the current men's GM versus women's GM, but I guess can you talk generally uh, around, like, how wide are we around the 45% uh, average 
between men's and women's or women's and all other. And then um, can you talk about, you mentioned the exclusive brands as a big driver uh, in terms of, you know, that mix going up within men's, you know, what, what's the general uh, range of, of, of gross margin uh, between the exclusive brands and, and kind of regular and kind of how do you see this? Is this uh, on a, a sustainable uh, trend that that could last, you know, multiple quarters? Or are we at the point where, uh, you know, the curve has kind of reached, uh, you know, closer to parity and you're not expecting as much from uh, the men's gross margin improvement as what you're seeing right now? Thanks a lot. Hi, Ross. This is Paul. Thanks for your question. Um, without sharing the specific uh, margins between men's and women's, I can say that where men's is right now in terms of its scale and size, its equivalent growth margin of where women's was years ago. So we're very pleased where, where, where men's is at. It's the progression it's making over the course of its past two and a half years. And you kind of note on kind of the key levers that um, in our uh, toolkit to help expand gross margins. So men's uh, just in terms of scaling, getting better um, purchasing power with our brand partners. Um, EV, we've seen extensive success today, and we were continuing to exclusive brands, and those do have higher gross margins, but really the lens is how do we ensure we're giving products that our clients really uh, enjoy and fit their needs. And we uh, men out of three out of our five distribution centers. So we still have opportunity from a Shipping cost, shipping cost standpoint to optimize. So I think on the whole, we're very pleased with the men's expansion. We still see opportunity for us to get the benefit of scale and then in return drive higher gross margins in, in, in years to come. So high level, we're really pleased with the progress and um, we're going to see um, continued uh, improvements over time. We'll hear next from Mark Mahaney with RBC Capital Markets. Okay, great. Um, can I throw out three quick questions? Uh, last quarter we talked a lot about, you talked a lot about inventory optimization and the impact of that. Um, it, uh, I, I know that wasn't a one and done. Uh, I assume that that's something that continues to build and that you that also bled through into these results. Um, so just talk a little bit about that. Um, I think there's a series of initiatives. It wasn't just uh, you know it wasn't just in the last quarter that are ongoing. So just talk about that impact. Secondly, could you provide any more clarity or uh, color on the or detail on brand advertising? When you say that, are there particular brand advertising channels that have been uh, promising for you? I don't know if you'll get into that, but I'm just I'll have to ask you. And then third, on the UK, um, I know it's still very early days, but could you just provide any more color on what you're seeing there? Any particular, um, uh, you know, any particular early lessons from that? Anything that makes you, you know, as you've looked at this trajectory of women's and men's in the U.S., like does it does it look fat? Is it too early to say whether that ramp could go faster or slower than what you saw in the U.S.? I know there's a bunch of factors you talked about before that made that market particularly attractive. So, is there a, are the learnings already indicating that you could see a faster adoption curve in the U.K. than in the U.S.? Thanks a ton. Great. Thanks for the question. Um, I'll have Mike talk about inventory and then I'll pick it up for brand advertising in the UK. Yeah. Hey, Mark. It's Mike. It, yeah. The, the, there are, you know, I think you see it mostly in revenue per client. It's sort of what Paul talked about, the increase in revenue per client that we've seen kind of year over year. 
we do think it is still early days and the attributes that will help us even do better a better job with matching using that inventory algorithm. Uh, so there's you know so much that we can do, and I'd say it's it's still very early innings, and so we're we're not near algorithm in particular. And then in terms of the brand advertising, um, we we did a really um, we did a lot of activations that were really focused um, both focused around the time with the Oscars, but really broad in terms of channels and um, the types of things that we did. And so we were able to do some in person. We did some out of home. Um, we did some TV advertising that was focused on some channels. Um, and so you know I think at this point we're we're excited to learn about it. And um, you know overall I think we felt like having the Oscars and having a kind of of a social moment that meant something to a lot of people was um, that was an effective way to think about brand advertising, but I think it's still a little bit early to tell in terms of any specific channel learnings or, um, or what that will look like in future quarters. Um, and then the UK, you know, I mean, it's just really too early in the UK as well. We launched a month ago, I guess, and I was I was just out there. And um, you know, what I can share is that it seems like there's a lot of excitement from the market. Um, you know, I think that there are you know some differences in terms of the audiences, but um, a lot of uh, some similarities, but a lot of differences. And I think our approach of really being respectful of those differences and really localizing our merchandise and our service to fit. Um, that audience specifically um, is, you know, is a, is a strategy that we think is going to be successful. So, um, so you know, more to come. But you know, as with all of our kind of seedling businesses, we're really taking a launch and learn strategy here. And so, um, you know, it's it's definitely early days, but we're optimistic. Okay. Thank you, Katrina. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. We'll hear next from Heath Terry with Goldman Sachs. Uh, great, thanks. Uh, I was wondering if you could just give us a, a, a sense, you know, when we look at the acceleration and growth in, in revenue per customer, is, is there a, um, a, a breakdown that we should be thinking about in terms of, of keep rate, um, product, average product price, um, frequency of, of um, fix, that uh, that you would say is is behind the the, the level of acceleration or, or you know uh, just a way to sort of disaggregate the components with within that um, and then you know given the the comments that you had around the initial success of Style Pass uh, any thoughts on sort of when or, or or what your decision process will be like um, as far as making that more available to um, uh, to your existing customers. Hi, Heath. This is Paul. I'll, I'll take the first question, then I'll turn it over to Mike to talk about style pass in more detail. Um, so let me try to give you some color around the drivers of the growth um, in our revenue per client metric, which was 8% in Q3, our fourth quarter of acceleration, uh, to kind of give you some color behind this trend. I would say there, there are two major buckets of this improvement. The first is we're getting better at attracting quality clients. Katrina talked about our ability to better target clients who are right fit for our service. And as a result, we're seeing better outcomes for the first fixes, which in turn translates to retention. So that's one driver is we're seeing with our new cohort of new clients and women uh, staying with us longer, and hence that's helping drive revenue for clients. The second is more broad around our ability to personalize stitch fix. We've talked about our, our investments in inventory and our breadth there. Uh, Style Shuffle is a game now where 80% of our clients are playing, and we've now generated 2 billion ratings to date. So our ability to understand our client base and therefore be able to deliver fixes that are curated for them is translating into 
higher revenue per client, meaning, frankly, the highest keep rate that we saw in key one for women, an ability to, to give clients what they're looking for. So those are the two key drivers that are manifesting in this momentum we're seeing in Q3, and then that's reflective of the raise guidance that I gave for Q4. Yeah, hey, Heath, this is Mike. I mean, I think we will continue to take a very disciplined approach to style pass. We're excited about the capability. We've laughed a year. We are also very excited about, uh, you know, the renewal rate. Uh, as you can imagine, if we, as we show that we are better at targeting high-quality clients, I think there's more of an opportunity to bring more people into style pass. And we have a really good understanding of what client type will work really will work really well with StylePass. So again, you can assume that we'll be disciplined about it and roll it out to the people that makes the most sense for and, and excited about the metrics that we've seen uh, for the clients that are using StylePass. Great, thank you both. Thanks, Keith. Thanks. We'll hear now from Ralph Shackert with William Blair. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry, operator jumped in there. Um, just in terms of men's exclusive brands, uh, you disclosed it's more than a third today. Curious if, uh, where you think this metric can trend longer term, and uh, structurally, do you think exclusive uh, brands is a better fit for men's, or is there also a broader opportunity for women's as well? Thank you. Yes. Uh, a great question, Ralph. I think it, it should go higher. We're very confident in our ability to do it. Again, the reason we use exclusive brands is to fill in where we see gaps. I think structurally in the men's business, we saw more gaps on a price point and style kind of perspective than we see in women's, but we have a healthy exclusive brand business in women's, and as we continue to get really good at developing exclusive brands, I think you'll see us uh, continue to invest both in men's, women's, and certainly in kids as well. So uh, there's no ceiling, I think, to kind of what the number is. I don't know, you know, I, I wouldn't want to speculate on a specific number, but it's an important part of our strategic platform on all three businesses and also in the UK. Great, thank you. And from KeyBank Capital Markets, we'll move to Edward Ruma. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for taking my questions. I guess first on the kids' business, how would you compare the growth trajectory versus maybe how men's had ramped? Um, are you seeing any important takeaways? And then second, you guys have had a pretty good story to tell on, uh, on inventory markdowns. Is that a function of the algorithmic buying? Um, and kind of how much more room do you have to kind of keep driving markdowns lower? Thank you. Yeah, I'll take the kids one, uh, Ed, this is Mike, and then Paul will take the, the second question. So uh, from a product acceptance and us, our ability to do exclusive brands uh, with this business, we're seeing very similar kind of trends that we've seen in men's. Uh, the kids' clients and their parents love the uh, kind of love the service, love the personalization, and really love the product. Uh, obviously, the total addressable market dynamics are different. And, you know, there's potential differences in average order value just because the average unit retail prices of the product is different. And we're very sensitive to that and feel really confident in our ability to have this grow into a, a very profitable and important strategic plank for the business. Hi, Ed. This is Paul. In response to your question around uh, sort of the, I think you're referring to clearance as opposed to markdowns. But uh, we are still, I would say, in the early stages of our abilities to buy the right product 
distribute to the right clients and therefore reduce clearance over time. And I think we're really proud of results in Q3. We drove 150 basis points expansion in gross margins year over year. And that's a function of not only lower shrink year over year, but also lower clearance activity. And that's a function, again, of our strength in inventory management. So as we look forward, I would say we're still um, investing in algorithmic capabilities to better align our inventory to our clients. I would say in the buying and planning side, uh, using the de- rich data we have in our clients to inform our assortments, our mix of buys is certainly an opportunity. And then just overall inventory management and getting uh, products to the right client through styling and algorithms, I would say are still um, areas where we continue to invest in and see um, opportunities and opportunities in the future. So as you can tell, we're really proud of our Q3 results and that is a function of the capabilities we've been building to date. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ed. We'll hear next from Eric Johnson with Piper Jaffrey. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking the question. Um, first, just curious if uh, your guys' guidance contemplates any impact from tariffs um, for this year. And then, you know, as we look out further, if, if uh, List 4 goes into effect, any thoughts on how you guys would mitigate them? Um, and then, you know, do you have any data showing anything specific on your customer price sensitivity? Um, you know, as it relates to being able to pass through any extra um, cost you might have. Hi, Eric. This is Paul. Thanks for your question. I think the first thing to note on tariffs is all of the tariffs enacted to date uh, have had a very minimal impact on our business. So, in essence, our guidance does reflect uh, any impact of tariffs um, in place today. And that being said, as you're aware, we're monitoring the situation very carefully where there is the um, potential for the remaining imports from China to be subject to tariffs. And like a lot of apparel retailers, we do source product from China. And should that situation arise, we have three levers um, in our toolkit to, to manage that impact. First and foremost, we have a very strong set of relationships with our brand partners. And so we're already starting our conversations to contemplate that situation and ultimately how do we root out costs throughout our supply chain to mitigate any costs that come our way. Second, with our inclusive brands where we do own the supply chain, we're already in the process of diversifying our country of origin and migrating some um, production from China to other countries. And then finally, you alluded to this, um, one advantage that we have is we do have a really rich data set of understanding our clients and their behaviors um, response to any kind of changes. And so should we have to surgically pass on costs, we do have, um, I think, a good capability to, to do so. So there's a lot of unknowns, as you can imagine, and we're very much monitoring and managing um, scenarios, and we'll obviously give more updates as, as the, the news transpires. Great, thank you. Thank you. From SunTrust, we'll move to Yusuf Squally. Excellent, thank you so much. I have a couple questions. First, would you, Paul, um, it looks like your guidance, if I look at it at the midpoint, it assumes a continuation of, uh, or an acceleration, further acceleration in the revenue per active customer uh, per month, but it also assumes, I think, an acceleration in the active client growth uh, when in the last nine months it's actually been decelerating from something like 22% to 17%. First, is that is that a fair assumption? And second, um, what is behind that ex- expected acceleration? Is that mostly UK or, I'm sorry, is that UK or is that mostly from the core business in the US? And then the other question is just around the style pass. Thank you for the, uh, for the 70% renewal rate um, info. I was wondering if Maybe you can comment on the percentage of clients which today have style pass and the type of growth you're seeing in that metric. 
Thank you. Hi, you said this is Paul. Thanks for your uh, questions. You know, as I shared with the guidance for Q4, I would say we continue to see benefit and growth from both levers, which is client count growth and revenue per client. I would say the raise in our uh, guidance for that quarter is driven by the continued momentum in a revenue per client growth. So we've grown four consecutive quarters, and we see that momentum continuing. And as for active client count, we grew that 17% in Q3, and we see consistent growth um, as we look forward to Q4. So again, we see benefits from, from both. And in terms of the drivers of that revenue per active client, uh, drivers, um, the drivers of that growth, I'm um, similar to my comments to Heath. It's a whole host of um, so initiatives we have to find the right clients and serve them well uh, through um, better understanding them and through inventory management. So that, that momentum, frankly, continues. Um, specific to your question in the UK and its impact on client count, we just launched uh, a month ago, uh, and certainly we're very much in the early stages. And with both the UK and, frankly, the kids' business, we're still in the very early stages of learning from those businesses and, it, and really seeing the impact um, that now MENS has um, two and a half years in into our business. So overall, we're really pleased, and you're seeing that in our raise for Q4. Um, to your question on StylePass, uh, I would say a minority of our clients currently today benefit from StylePass, and it's very purposeful. Uh, we want to make sure that the offering we provide them not only makes sense for them, but also makes sense for our business. And we're constantly evaluating opportunities to bring more people onto the platform. Uh, but right now, we're really pleased with the results, obviously, and we'll continue to monitor um, opportunities to bring more people um, into the StylePass family. Thanks. Thank you, Seth. We'll hear next from Ike Broschow with Wells Fargo. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, congrats, good quarter. Um, I don't know if this question's uh, for Katrina or Mike, um, but I wanted to ask you more about competition. So I know that within, within the subscription market, you guys are, you know, by far and away the largest player, but how do you guys think about the rental market? Um, you know, there's obviously a large private player uh, in that space. There's been some specialty retailers who have announced launches into that space. I'm just curious how you think about that competitively, and is, it, is that something that uh, Stitch Fix would ever consider um, adding on to the subscription box service? Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the question, Ike. Um, you know, I mean, we really think of ourselves as focused on personalization, um, and there's really very few other players that are as focused on personalization as we are. Um, that is the core of what we're focused on, and um, and the apparel market is it's really really large, and um, you know, we're not seeing any you know head-to-head -head competition. I would say, um, you know, your question about rental is interesting, and you know, we're definitely looking at um, at that market, and it you know could be a future opportunity for us. I would say that right now. Um, it's, it's, we don't see it as as big of an opportunity as the opportunities we have within our core business, but we definitely um, will continue to monitor that. Thanks. And from Wolf Research, we'll go to Adrian Yee. Good afternoon. Let me add my congratulations. Nice quarter. Katrina, um, two questions for you. It sounds like the uh, the positive fix, uh, the positive first fix, is coming on the back of data analytics. And I'm just wondering how the evolution of the data analytics versus the personal stylus is evolving. Secondarily, what specifically can you tell us about uh, what makes a good positive uh, first fix? Is it something they say in their profile, or is it a more general kind of psychographic? And then for Paul, um, just to piggyback off the tariff question, 
Can you give us an, a general estimate of what you think the indirect sourcing from China is? Thank you very much. Thanks for the questions, Adrian. Um, on, firstly, just on on first fix and your, I guess the two sub questions. One is what makes a positive first fix experience, and that's actually um, we have a definition around that, and that's a fix in which you bought at least one item. It's a fix where you are excited. We ask we ask an explicit question: Are you excited to get your next fix? Um, and that actually that signals positive intent. It signals, um, you know, it's a signal of a commitment to potential retention. Um, and so those are metrics that we use to define that. Um, and in terms of what's driving it, yes, it is data analytics that is helping us to better identify clients, but it's really everything that we do. And, you know, we think about uh, two quarters ago, we shared that we had our highest keep rates in the business. Um, the higher keep rates obviously contribute to more successful first fixes and people being happy with the experience. As we improve the merchandise, as we're able to bring in more products that people are excited about, that's going to improve that experience. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, I don't think we can share, we don't give all the credit to data, um, but I think it's really just broadly all the things that we're um, that we're working on in the business that improves that experience and contributes to that to the momentum we see there. Great. Hi, Adrian. Uh, this is Paul. To your yeah. question around uh, sort of our China uh, product source from China, so we're obviously in close contact with our brand partners, and we do source a healthy portion of our product from China through our vendors, and then also directly through our exclusive brand lines. And given given that outlook, we're as I noted earlier, really focused on ways should the situation arise to mitigate the impact, and that's what we're closely monitoring as you speak. And um, again, more to come as as uh, news news. Uh, progressives. Great. Thank you very much. Our next question will come from Janet Kloppenberg with JJK Research. Good evening, everyone. Congrats on, on a really super quarter. Um, I, I had a couple questions around the um, exclusive brand development. Um, are you um, internally developing that? Do you have a design or merchandising team that um, is growing within the organization, or is this done through some of your vendor partners? And just, you know, if, if there's any relative inventory risk there, higher versus what it might be with some of your partners. Um, and if the exclusive brand, I think I, I'm correct that it's devoted to men's right now, will it, will it move into women's and other categories as well? Um, secondly, I was wondering... Katrina, if you could talk a little bit about, this is kind of specific, but in the traditional retail world, uh, seasonal inventory um, hit a real rough patch in the April quarter because it was so darn cold um, and there was a shift and lots of different things that happened. But I was just wondering if you, um, if you um, have a special sauce that allows you to mitigate those kinds of uh, risks in terms of seasonality and weather trends. Um, and um, I also just wanted to ask, given this performance, which may be tied in some way to the increased advertising spend, how we should think about your marketing budget going forward and if you may um, devote more of your, of your spend to marketing, given the success you've seen. Thank you. So, uh, hi, Janet. This is Mike. I'll take the hi. first question and then uh, hi. 
uh, and then pass it on to others for questions two and three. So we do both. Your question about do you do some of the design and work with our vendor partners uh, and, or internal. We have internal mm. people, depending on business line, that are working on some of the design. But we also we have so much data of what works and what doesn't work and a, a very strong kind of product uh, team and, and tech team that helps us develop product, but we lean on and ask our uh, vendor partners to help us think through it too. And a lot of it's new training for them because they get way more data from us than they would get from any other partner, which actually allows us to develop really great product. And that's why you're seeing our success uh, in exclusive brands. And like I said earlier in the call, it's a huge strategic pillar for us. And it, you know, it's represented in all parts of our business. It is actually in women's too, uh, but we just highlighted the, the men's exclusive brand development on this call. Thanks. Yeah, just on your on your question on seasonality, um, you know, I think this is one of the many dimensions that we're able to personalize across. And so when our stylists are choosing items for our clients, they're actually able to see the weather in that geography so that we're really always sending seasonally relevant, um, you know, climate relevant products to our clients. And I think the other place that we're advantaged is because we turn our inventory, because we have these great relationships, because we turn our inventory at over six times a year, and because we have these great relationships with our vendors, um, we're able to react more in season um, than I think you know, many other many other retailers can. And so we're able to see um, weekly selling and understand not just what is selling, but understand the why behind that, that allows us to be able to react really quickly, whether it's something that has to do with weather or something that has to do with trend. And, um, and you know, I think that's a big advantage of our um, model where we are turning the inventory quickly and are able to be a little more reactive. Thanks. Good Hi, Jen. This is Paul. Hi. In regards to your question around marketing, we still see opportunities to build investments in marketing. As you can tell, uh, we just launched our first integrated brand campaign in Q3. And I would say right. even in the life of SitchFix, this is a new capability for us that we're building and starting to infuse data science in, in that function to better target and, frankly, re-engage our client base. So as you think about our long-term EBITDA margins of 11 to 13%, that reflects a marketing spend of 9 to 11% um, as a percent mm -hmm. of revenue. So I would say we're still on the lower end of that range of marketing as a reflection of the opportunities we do see to drive positive ROI uh, through our marketing investment. So I think you know we're definitely looking forward to quarters ahead of taking our learnings and uh, reinvesting in capabilities to drive more client love. Great, thanks so much. And at this time, I'd like to turn things back to Katrina for closing remarks. Great, thank you very much everybody for joining us and we look forward to seeing you on the road and upcoming conferences. And that will conclude today's conference. Again, thank you all for joining us.